Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark, and today I am joined by guest Tone Doba. Did I get that right? <laughs> you get it right. Good, good. So Tone is on my mailing list and replied to a uh, an email to kind of share a. The email was about expensive problems and and how to find things that are worth solving that you can solve and. You know, it's the kind of thing I talk about a lot here and uh, on, on the um, mailing list. And Tone wrote in to tell me about a sort of recognizably similar but a little bit different kind of what's broken triangle uh, from his book. And and I thought it was really clever and there's some math to it, so I know a lot of people are going to like it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But first, could you kind of tell people for context a little bit about who you are and what you do? Okay, yeah, my name is Tone Dobba. That you got that right. It's a Dutch name because I've been born in the Netherlands, live in Spain, and I've been running a uh, yeah a freelancing slash consulting uh, agency for about four and a half years right now. And I started that agency on notion that uh, I came from a company that's uh, has always been in the enterprise resource planning space. So that's been there whole my life, always on the intersection of product, marketing, and sales. That's where I really, really love. And when I left the company, I. I, I dug into, okay, what is, what is it that I want to, uh, to do next and where do I want to make the biggest difference? And I figured out uh, that there's these crazy numbers in the, out there on statistics that 90% of startups fail, which of course is bad. Mm. But then if you look a little bit further, 75% of scale-ups fail as well. And these are companies that are supposed to have product market fit. So you, I really started to wonder like, what is going wrong there? And I realized that there's a number of things that the, these guys... Yeah, these, these companies uh, fail on, uh, fail to get traction on, and that's what I wanted to solve uh, yeah, with my with my company. Mm. So that's how it all started. So I help and I save CEOs of B2B SaaS companies the stress of not enough traction. Mm. Excellent. CEOs of B2B SaaS companies who aren't getting enough traction. Very specific. All right, just taking some notes here. Um, Okay, so uh, tell us a little bit about the book. What's the title? What's the, I mean, presumably it's about that subject, but, um, you know, this triangle yeah. is just one piece of it. Yeah, well, that's, it's actually a longer story, but the, the, the short story, the, the book is called The Remarkable Effects. And um, on, the, on the title, it says, it's the essential book for tech entrepreneurs on a mission. But what I really wanted to uh, get across there is yeah, answering the question, and that's a question that fascinates me a lot, like what, what are the traits of those B2B SaaS companies that we that do succeed, that we keep talking about, you know, that we start talking about and then keep talking about. Mm -hmm. So the book essentially highlights the 10 traits of those type of companies. Uh, yeah. And it's loaded with case studies from my podcast because uh, I've been running a podcast since 2018, where I interview those tech entrepreneurs that are transformative in their space. And we go through the whole story there. Um, mm -hmm. That's what it's uh, what the book is about, and um, yeah, I, like the, I, I detect a Seth Godin influence. <laughs> there is, of course, yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm a big yeah. fan of like, Seth Godin, especially uh, yeah, the Purple Cow, and I mean, exactly. how he defines the word remarkable. Because uh, at the end, you know, it's a simple word. Mm -hmm. uh, if you do something remarkable, it's worth making a remark about. I right. Mean, it's a, that simplicity. And everybody can can achieve something like that. You don't have to be Google or Amazon or or Apple to do something remarkable. Every company can do that. Oh yeah, yep, I, yeah. I love that word. I think it's it's funny because if you use it, you almost have to explain it to people. It's like no, it's about people making a remark about you. It's like oh, 
it's basically it's it's like a one word yeah. uh word of mouth generator you know it's like exactly it's word of mouth in one word um sweet okay so we are super duper on the same page um let's talk about this this triangle that or in not just the triangle but the exercise that you take your clients through when you're trying to figure out what's going to make them remarkable yeah well the first thing at the end i mean i call it um it starts with what i call the value foundation uh, in my book i talk about three levers uh, value lever then the viability lever and the volume lever but it starts with the value lever and it's defining what sets you apart as a company um, and in order to understand that you really have to dig deep and understanding what what is your first of all what is your ideal customer so who's it for and who's it also who's it not for uh, a lot of companies think they have that right and they are ex- absolutely wrong on it or mm-hmm. uh, sort of still way off because they say okay we are we are a software company for professional service companies between 250 people and 1,000 people. And the companies do about 50 million in revenue up to 100 million in revenue. And then they, th- and they are in the UK and in the US. So they think, okay, how narrow will you be? But at the end, that's, of course, a large chunk of, of companies whereby you could easily say, okay, 90% of those companies will never buy from you. <laughs> so there's still something missing in those demographics. And so that's what we could drill into, uh, really getting into the, the, the worldviews of those customers, what sets them, uh, what's, what, yeah, what, what do they care about? What do they believe in? What do they aspire? What do they get frustrated with? And once you start to understand that, then the next level is, okay, so what are these companies challenged with? And that's where we start to do, a, do an exercise on, you know, like a list of 20, 30, 40 pain points that these com- companies are, are struggling with. Uh, and that's where the triangle, triangle comes in. Okay, before before we get into that, though, I've got a couple of questions yeah. already. So when you're working with a client, how do you get them to go deeper into the worldview of the client? Do you actually do this with clients, like interviewing clients, or do they just imagine? No, no, no. I mean, at the end, you know, you never uh, <laughs> imagine this. Um, yeah, it's where a lot of things can go wrong. That's based on assumptions. Uh, of mm-hmm. course, it's uh, it's it, it, yeah incredibly important to get get it from customers themselves, from their from my customers' customers. So right. when I'm doing the project myself, I interview those customers, mm-hmm. and when I'm the guide, uh, that's also an opportunity that I do a lot these days. Then I mean I I work with my uh, with with the team of the, of my customer to get them to give them the questions that need to be asked uh, to understand that, and sometimes. Well, there's a, there's a number of area, areas areas where it will come from. It comes from interviewing the customers. That can mm-hmm. be through a phone interview, of course, uh, but it can also be be yeah just through surveys. Yep. But you also learn a lot from at the end is just visiting the websites of those customers. So, mm-hmm. how do they articulate uh, what they promise their customers? What are they saying they're about? What are they what are they about? Uh, what do they aspire? What do they try to be? It's the language type that they're using. So you can learn a lot from that. Uh, if you go, for example, if you have a list of 10 or 20 ideal customers, the customers that already are your ambassadors, you can learn a lot from just visiting yeah, their own work uh, and get a very good understanding about what these companies are about. Mm. You can start to feel, for example, whether they are more risk averse or more innovative. Um, uh, yeah, All of those type of yeah, fluctuations beyond the demographics that they're in. Mm, that's a really good idea. Just that, that one's never occurred to me to go at least if you, you know, uh, in advance of surveys or um, it, hopefully not 
instead of, but in advance of surveys or maybe interviews, because yeah. uh, you know it's gonna there's gonna be lead time. It's gonna take a while. Not everyone's gonna have time to do it. But you could go to exactly like you said, go to their about pages on the your customers' customers' websites and see if they get into values or mission or like you said, exactly. if they're risk averse or or highly risk tolerant. That's a really good idea. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I mean, just okay. to give you an, an anecdote on that, I was doing a, a project for a company in the Netherlands, uh, Sana Commerce, and it's, that's an e-commerce platform. And when I first of all started to look to just to read through all the case studies uh, and also looking at those websites, I figured out after about reading 50 case studies that 80% of their customers was more than 25 years old. And mm -hmm. out of that 80, uh, 80%, at least 50% was more than 50 years old. Mm -hmm. So I, I just parked that, that thought. Okay, so what could it be, this be about? But what it ended at the end, be, uh, became, there came a very important aha moment from it when, we, when I started talking to those customers, that the whole thing, why they were in business, was really strengthening long-term relationships. Mm. Uh, and that's what they were known for. And that's where... Well, the reason why their customers bought from them was not because they were the cheapest or the fastest, whatever, but it was, okay, if I order something, I know it's going to be on time. I know it's going to be delivered with the right quality. I can just bet on you. Mm -hmm. And that's what these companies try to strengthen with technology. This is so good. So so for the dear listener, like, just note how invisible that key factor is it's like without doing research like this it would probably not be obvious like if you reached out to your network and said hey do you know anybody that runs a business who uh, puts really high emphasis on long-term relationships everyone's gonna say no like no i don't know i get i don't know like you need to dig you need to like look around and you know case studies or whatever interviews with them and then once you once you discover that compare that to something like you know, compare talking about that on your website to talking about like feature X, feature Y, feature Z, and we're better than the competitor because we're cheaper or we're faster or whatever. It's just like if you if you key into something like this and it's real, I mean, you know, at first you'll have a hypothesis and then you need to test it. But once you once you do, you'll be the only choice. You'll be like the assuming that you're like reasonably, you know, not insanely more expensive, you know, like more or less similar on all of the things that people compete on when they're racing to zero. And then you've got this extra thing, then it's like, pff, forget about it. They're, they're not even going to consider anyone else because sure. it's just such, it's such a deep level and it's, it's deep, which makes it really strong, but it's also hard to find. Okay. So anyway, exactly. so moving on, um, that's great, great, uh, great anecdote there. So the next piece that I'm wondering about, and I guess you're going to say through interviews, but, uh, how do you get this giant list of problems that your customers, customers are having? Yeah, exactly. Interviews. Uh, but of course, there are, I mean, the, the companies that I work with, uh, those SaaS companies, of course, they understand their customers well as well. So we workshop it. Um, and what I typically see there is that everybody thinks that they understand the problem of the customer, but, yeah. but hardly ever they do in real depth. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, um, the, the argument is that their customers are not efficient enough. And that's, of course, what they solve. But <laughs> Digging into that, I mean, the question is always to me, well, the, the first reaction I always give is like, so what? Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then we start digging in, um, really to the point where you can you can start to feel the itch um, when you when you read read the, the, the pain out loud, where you really can feel, okay, if this would happen to me, 
it would either wake me up at night, which is kind of the thing we're always looking for, mm-hmm. or it would get me fired if uh, uh, if if I just yeah if I don't deliver on this. Mm-hmm. And um, it's to yeah to get the list to that level to that level of uh, specificness concreteness that when you when you read it you know it's uh, it's real uh, and it's getting yeah. it to that level that's super powerful because. I mean, I'm, uh, I try to always phrase it in a in a sort of a f- format, like the inability to, um, and then either a commitment that they cannot deliver upon or an expectation from the business that they cannot deliver upon. So fill in the dots on there. And that format always forces you to get really concrete on like what the problem is really all about. Yeah. And once you then replicate it or you kind of say it to a customer, they'll say, yes, <laughs> that's... It's so scarily accurate. Yeah, they almost um, laugh. Is, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's so on the nose that it's like you pulled a thought out of their head, a, a private secret thought out of their mind. And exactly. I have, a, I have a, a friend who used to call this, um, he used to use the word crispy to refer to this, this this sense when you've got the you've got the pain so crispy. It's I don't know. I just always loved that word. It doesn't even make sense, but but when when the when the articulation of the pain is super crispy, you can just feel it. Yeah, you know, it's just it sounds real. It sounds like something someone would say, like the way they would yeah. say it. It's not like increase uh, efficiency. It's like no one says that. I mean, like in conversation, it's like we need to increase efficiency. It's like you're not up, you know, you're not up nights worrying about increasing efficiency. You're up nights worried about like running out of runway. I'm I'm afraid we're going to run out of runway, and I'm going to have to Thank fire you. my twenty best friends. That that's a real that's a crispy pain. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. True. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then so, and then the answer could be okay. We will help you get this and this and this more efficient, and as a consequence, your business will start to run in a better way, etc. Yeah, but, but the lack um, of efficiency is not the problem. Nope. So no. okay. So so we know how to drill in and find out the the deeper worldview or psychographics of the of the ideal buyer. Uh, you interview them. You've got a bunch of hypothetical pains that maybe you'll use to start with, but you interview lots of clients, right? It sounds like, I mean, you're using, num- you said 50 case studies, like that is a, that's a big number. Well, you know? no, no, the, the, the case studies, of course, because they have, they had already been made. And that was an easy read. And then mm-hmm. from there I interviewed, I think about 10 or 10 or 15 customers, uh, in an interview, uh, live on the phone. Right, right. So that's, I mean, yeah. that's, that's, that's some work that takes time, all yeah. the scheduling and then collating the sure. information and all that. So, all right. So now you've got this big list of, of, now this is not necessarily problems that your customer solves. These are problems that their customers have. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So that's now true. you've got this big long list. So like how many, you know, do you uh, sort of create the Venn diagram overlap of problems that they all have, or do you just just sort of make a superset of all of the problems? So, like, if ten, well, if I mean, 10 I mean, customers, customers, of course, everything is already, got, yeah, how do you say that, filtered through the lens of what what the the vendor that I'm working with, the the SaaS company that I'm working with, is really solving themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, they likely have. 10x more problems in other areas okay. so it's a little bit uh, so it's already uh, like filtered down but still you know it's you end up with a list of 20 maybe 30 i recently had a customer where we ended up with 75 wow. um, and that's all fine you know because uh you can there's there's so much value in that also in later stages mm-hmm. uh, for writing content um mm-hmm. etc oh yeah what comes next then is um once you have that list 
is really to do well to uh, how do you say that uh, uh, to separate the good from the bad Mm-hmm. And that's where the formula comes in. That's where the triangle comes in. Because the, the triangle that I'm talking about uh, to understand what's really broken at your customer, mm-hmm. uh, it's about three questions, three very simple questions. Is it valuable? Is it urgent or critical? And the last one is, can we exceed expectations? And if any of those questions answers uh, with a no, then start over again. Mm-hmm. That's what you want to, want, to look, uh, want to look for. So out of this list of 30 or 40 problems that we've identified, we start first of all with an exercise to rank, to give each each problem uh, a rank around how valuable is, is this to solve. Terrific. And that's always a very interesting exercise. So. Yeah, So, but, but subjectively in the mind of the customer, not how valuable your customer thinks it is. Right. Uh, sub- subjectively at the end, yeah. And of course, when once you've gone through the list and you've done your ranking, you can always kind of test it with a couple of customers and say, is this correct? Right. Um, but what you typically see is that uh, the, the perspective is uh, once you do them individually, that everything is important, mm-hmm. and then you end up with a list that is still uh, ten. The top ten is all the same. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really also in, in respect to each other. Because if your customer had to choose three, which one would they really choose? Yeah. Um, so that's right. also worth thinking a little bit with constraints. But first of all, like how valuable is it is to solve? And let's say that's a let's for 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 one particular problem. Running out of a runway, that's uh, a, a uh, well, the inability to to, uh, to find ways to uh, to keep the runway healthy enough, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that could be a nine in terms of how valuable it is to solve. Um, once it happens, of course, then the, the next question is how critical is it? And for some, if a company doesn't have, does, does, yeah, is well funded. Um, now they have millions in the bank. That for a long time it's not a problem until the mm-hmm. point comes again where it becomes a problem. But they're running out of runway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it depends a little bit, of course, what situation you find your customer in. But that's always the case. You know, some customers are ready and some customers are not. Mm-hmm. But once it's one, once this becomes an issue, how how big is that issue? Is it a five in terms of criticality or urgency, or is it maybe a ten? And that's a really yeah. critical answer uh, uh, thing to uh, to answer. Uh, for a couple of reasons, um, if you have a valuable problem that's not urgent, it's nice to have, and and nobody will care. Yeah, uh, they will care in good times, and they are happy to talk to you. And if you can solve it with uh, well beyond expectations, maybe they'll buy from you. But nice to have is nice to have. Yeah, it's a long sales cycle. Basically, what exactly. ends up happening is you just you just uh, keep in contact with them until it becomes urgent on its own. It's like you didn't do anything. <laughs> you just stayed in touch with them. And then exactly. like, oh, we ran out of money. Now this is, yeah. So this this corresponds to the why now question in the why exactly. conversation when I talk about yeah. that. Yeah. It's like if, if, if they are not looking to write a check to someone now or in the immediate future, forget about it. You sure. know, just keep them on your mailing list. And, and when it becomes urgent, it'll become urgent. And then you won't have to work. You know, it's it's not like a, you just wait. <laughs> it's like this, the solution. Yeah, um, okay, cool. So... So with the with the the the, the ranking the, the the nine and the ten, mm-hmm. if you multiply that, that's a ninety. And so you do that for every single one on the list, and you, and then you sort it with, for example, Google Sheets, and you find your top ten and your mm-hmm. top twenty. But the the very interesting that comes next then is that third question: on which problems can we make the biggest? Yeah, help the customers to make the biggest difference. Where can we exceed expectations? Mm-hmm. And also do that in an honest way on a scale of one to ten. 
And that's where you will see, okay, that some of those problems that were maybe in the top five or maybe in the top 10 or maybe in the top 20 will start to rise to the surface if you do another multiplication of that. Mm-hmm. And these, that becomes your list. Um, yeah, that's going to be fundamental to position yourself and to write your value proposition and, and all the other things that follow from there. Yep. Yeah, that's great. I love I, I love the math part because I've got a lot of engineer mindset people in the audience for sure. And yeah, um, and in having a formula, even you know, it's not exact. It's 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 yep. extremely subjective. But still, you can do. I've gone through these exercises on both sides of the table, and you can you can really rule out a lot of stuff that was potentially would have been compelling before going through an exercise like this. You know, when you're like, when you consider each of the, the factors independently and really look at it, it's not, it's not, uh, it can be shocking. Like, oh, wow, we, we really would have gone down the wrong path with like that one, for example, like, it's just not, it's not urgent for anyone. Like no one cares. You know, there's, you know, classic example is if you are like an automation or software automation or integrator or something like that, you're a consultant that does those sorts of things and you, and you, you go in to get your books done drop off your receipts or your accountant or something and there's 40 people in there with no computers are doing everything on paper the old way you you'd think that would be a it would be a really valuable problem to solve if you like brought in computers and automation and spreadsheets and all of this stuff to this but they don't care right if if they don't care sure. it's not worth anything even though it would be um, a big difference for them and it would increase efficiency like crazy if they don't want it and it's not urgent, in other words, when I say they don't want it, it's not valuable to them because they don't want it and it's not urgent to them, then it's just not, it's like people, people, someone who is like a, a software uh, automation consultant or something like that, they'll see these big problems, but they're only a big problem in the mind of the seller, you know, and it needs to be a big problem in the mind of the buyer, you know, exactly. or say an, an expensive problem in the mind of the buyer. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, that's so, well, that's the, that's the different way of, of of talking about it. The moment you got something highly valuable to solve, that's highly critical on the, on your agenda. Yeah. You got yourself an extremely expensive problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. The you know J Crew's website down on Black Friday. That's an extremely expensive <laughs> problem. Yeah. So exactly. if you can solve that, you could write your own check. You could say it'll be a million dollars. I'll have it up in fifteen minutes. Sound good? They'll be like, yes, start now. Yeah. Right. That's, that's exactly an expensive the case. problem. Right. Global, I mean, it might have been the email you replied to or a different one, but, you know, global warming is a gigantic problem, but it's it's only an expensive problem if someone wants to write you a giant check to solve it right now. And no one listening to this can solve global warming with any amount not of specific enough. on their own. It's yeah. not specific enough, right? It's a valuable solve, problem to solve for the world. It's not yeah. urgent on the agenda of most entrepreneurs. Right. It's, it's, it's a great mission, but I think you need to get... There's no business in that. You need to get like sure. uh, much, much, much more specific about the piece that you're going to tackle because it's just too broad. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So once you've got this rating, it just from experience, because <laughs> I, 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 one time the first before I bought a house, the first time I went to buy a house, uh, I was very spreadsheety about it. You know, it needed to be within this radius of my office so that I could walk, and it needed to have this and that and the other and rooms and bedrooms and size and da 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 and price and everything. And I put all of these things in this big spreadsheet and I weighted them on importance to me. And then, you know, it's, you know, I, I put in all the numbers and it told me the house and I was like, I'm going to live in that house, <laughs> find the other one. <laughs> so it was funny because going through the exercise, 
caused me to hear my gut instinct because the spreadsheet puked out a, a bad choice. I was like, I'm not living there. So uh-huh. either whatever, I, I left out some factor that was the X factor that really mattered to me or whatever. But um, the one that I was going to buy was the one I was going to buy. Like, you know, so, so what happens when you go through this exercise with clients, do they, and you get to these like pretty clear, okay, here, here are three things. And here's the top thing that we should probably tackle next in terms of, you know, adding a feature to the software, changing the headlines yeah. on our website or whatever. And they just go, uh, I don't think so. Or are they always, are they usually like, yes, let's do this. This is the clarity that we've been looking for. Or do you, you know, somewhere in between. I mean, every, every single time that I've been through this, uh, the clarity is is a wow factor for for everybody because they haven't seen their business in that level of clarity before. Now suddenly they understand what sets them apart, why it sets them apart, and then well that's what I call it about the value foundation. It's once you got that clear, it starts to help with aligning marketing to create leverage, mm-hmm. sales in terms of how to go go about it and and where to target. Just go through their whole pipeline and figure out. What are the, what is the top three pain points of all of those, and are we looking? Are we just focusing on the wrong ones here? And then for our uh, for R and D as well, you know, it's where can they make the biggest difference in terms of planning their their next roadmap items? Um, because in a lot of cases, uh, product market fit is there, but they're still they're still juggled around by the opinions of everybody about what they need to make next. Rather than asking, okay, does this really strengthen our defensible differentiation? Yeah, yeah. It's, but once imagine... you got the list of the of the top the top ten of big problems um, that you solve, and also like where do we, which one do we solve best? Do we believe believe that we solve best? The big question then the digging starts to be around um, uh, what is causing that that you can solve it in such a way that that no one else can, and I refer to that as the magic concepts. But these become the crown jewels. It's like the NDA underlying <laughs> the products rather than the features that they've built. So these are the things that if a competitor would ever want to create something similar, they had to re-architect the whole thing. Yep. Yeah. So uh, I, I would imagine, well, let me just ask, how many people from the client side are usually involved with this? Is it is it usually like the entire leadership <laughs> team or just the founder or founders? Because I would imagine um, if everyone goes yeah. through it, then it would create a lot of alignment. Yeah, well, that that's where I'm uh, like, I'm, where I'm using a platform trick. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working with, I mean, it's it's, it's twelve steps, uh, and in the first four, it's really about understanding the customer in in depth. Uh, so what I do, I've got a platform on Lighty Networks. Uh, I create an environment whereby I uh, have twelve different prompts, and that's where we start to invite all the all the yeah the people that need to, that we want to contribute because we want to have the feeling of recreating this together. Mm-hmm. So everybody in the company can start to kind of answer the prompts about what they think are the most, well, uh, what, what defines their ideal customer, mm-hmm. uh, what are the, their biggest problems and so on. And of course there's tricks and there's, there's structures to get them through to, to get the thinking right. Mm-hmm. And then we do the workshop with three people uh, who are at that point in that part of the, of the, of the work stream uh, most important for that for uh, yeah for getting maximum quality from the workshop mm-hmm. um, so crowdsourcing so to say on the prompt level yep and then in the workshop uh, like really limited to to the, the people that um, yeah, are most instrumental so in the beginning it's maybe more marketing and sales and then in the middle is more we bring in also product experts 
uh, and later on it's just marketing again. But in the majority of time, and that depends a little bit on the size of the company, founder right. is virtually always involved. Okay, good, cool. So and you said you've been doing this for four years? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. It sounds very cool. It's I, I always love when I meet someone who has found a uh, sort of like a different way to organize the same stuff. Like there's, cause there's, it's funny because it's almost orthogonal. Like the way that you've got your sort of three things, it pulls like one thing out of my why conversation and another thing out of somewhere else. And it's like, oh, it's yeah. just, but it's the same thing. It's like, I, I always feel like, you know, other people like Chris Doe and Blair Enns and David C. Baker and Philip Morgan. And, and it's like, there's like digging in the same dirt. It's like, there's something down here. Like I found a piece, you found a piece. Uh, and, and. I I just think it's great. It's very it's uh, there's something there's something reassuring about the fact that different people do this get at these same things from a different direction and yeah. are able to produce results for people. It's really that's I, what I it's about. Endlessly, the end. Yeah, I'm endlessly fascinated by that. Yeah, cool. Where can people go to find out more about what you're doing? Well, I got a website. Uh, my company is called Value Inspiration. So my my website is called ValueInspiration.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm also instantly uh, reachable on, on LinkedIn. Just find my name, uh, Ton Dobber. So T-O-N-D-O-B-B-E. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you can and, also send me an email. And That's, the podcast, uh, where's the podcast? Podcast is, um, yeah, and you can find it on, on iTunes. Uh, what is it? Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Play, on Amazon. And of course, also on my own, web, on, on my own website. Great. Yeah, it yeah. Sounds, and it sounds like you've got interviews with uh, uh, startup folks, founders, marketers, and those sorts of things. So it's it's all with the with the it's always with the the, the founder CEO of uh, the B two B software company. Mm, cool. So anybody uh, listening, there's a couple of a couple of authors in between, but mm-hmm. the bulk of it is is uh, people that actually founded the company talk about the big idea, about the value that they can create, and then the whole journey how they get to a point where. They deliver remarkable impact. Fabulous. So 200 episodes great. out there. Sounds great. Yeah. So <laughs> if you're looking for something to do instead of doing <laughs> exactly. scrolling on Twitter. Yeah. Cool. Thanks so much for joining me, Ton. It was a pleasure. All right, folks. That's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join me again next time on Ditching Hourly. Bye. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.